Okay, what's up? Wednesday. Uh, I'm going to get to Urban Meyer. We're going to talk to Spencer Checkets, who's been out in Salt Lake for a really long time and lives in Donovan Mitchell's building. And the reason I'm having him on is he had me on his show every week for years. And uh, I think this Donovan Mitchell thing's cool. He has some really cool perspective on it. He was on it early. I got to tell you, Saruti, I didn't really know what to lead with. I could have led with the Urban Meyer stuff. Uh, and now he is placed on administrative leave. So, but I've already done uh, a big chunk on that. So you're going to get to that a little bit later. Am I due for some anthem talk? Oh man. Well, that is, if you said, Hey, name 10 things that Russo would want to talk about today, that would not have made the list. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. You know what I do know? And I know everybody likes the life update stuff. So I may do that with you here a little bit, but I think spoken word always sucks. Whenever Explain. I hear it, it just whenever I hear somebody doing spoken word, my initial feeling for them is I'm embarrassed. Like, do you think this is good? And yet for somebody who loves rap, like, what's my problem? You know? And I've consistently, like, I watched another spoken word thing today because I just got lost in a little bit of a maze. And I went, yeah, I never, I never think this is good. And I know some people are brilliant, you know, and they're emotional about it and they're passionate. And they're saying these, these great challenging things political things and i i feel like if i had a roommate that was into spoken word we would always talk bad about him behind his back when he left i don't think i know anyone you you know people who do spoken word no i've I've just watched it enough to know i hate it and i never and i know i'm as i'm saying this this would be like me saying oh i hate classical music right like oh it doesn't do it for me and then you'd be like oh come on man but i just it was something i noticed again today where my first thing is kind of like uncomfortable make it stop i don't know i don't know what that says about me i I guess i don't know enough about spoken word like is it are we talking like slam poetry yeah slam poetry that's what we're doing okay i'm sure somebody who's super into it is already upset yeah i I screwed something up there but yeah like if somebody goes i can't believe you guys don't know the difference between spoken word and slam poetry i have zero i can't believe (laughs) there is one (laughs) so um it's it's pretty cool, you know, like expressing yourself, getting out there, coffee shop, the whole deal. Uh, there's a lot of art forms I really like. You know, art's important. I had a conversation today with a writer. He was like, you know, I really like what you're doing. He's like, art is important, you know, because I'm getting a lot of edits on stuff that I'm doing, and I'm getting smart people to say completely different things. And I'm like, I don't know what to do now. Am I writing in my voice or am I writing to appease someone else? I'm not even sure what I'm doing right now. And uh I started thinking about spoken word and then I watched a video because it was like this guy who's like everybody was really excited about. I went, God, I go, I just, I don't, I'm trying to, th-. and then I was trying what to think was like, he talking is there, about? oh, dude, I, I didn't even last that long. I'm trying to think of like, what other form of art do you go? Uh, nope. Hmm. Like even some of the dance movies, like I'm not going to watch Step It Up one or two, but I get it. Channing Tatum. Well, was that, was that, that step it up? What, what was that? With it was when he met his 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 now ex wife, but it was one of those dance movies, and like every girl in high school was like obsessed with it. And I'm like, this is so trash. Like it, I don't remember that in high school. Plot's terrible. Well, that was it, you have been about ten years older than I am. But I'm like, I don't understand what like this movie. Just because you you like Channing Tatum, that's why you're watching this movie. You're not even into dance. Like what's happening? That dude can dance. But he then can't. I watched I watched part of some other thing where it was like. I feel like the scripts for a lot of those movies are similar, but then I think that's the formula, and that's okay. Congrats to all your success. But I'll watch some of the dance stuff, and I'm like, oh, my God, that was an amazing feat, you know? Like, 
And it's not like, hey, I couldn't do that. Like, I don't think that should be the barometer of how we judge things. Like, oh, you know what? I could do this, 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 not impressed with any of it. No, that's not how you want to live life. So I'm not going to say I like something only because I can't do it. And yeah, I think I'd probably be bad at spoken word, but that's not why I'm just trying to think like I like I'm trying to find a nice painting or some I'm more of a print guy. I like to find a really nice print to tie the living room together, just tie it all together. Right. And I really picky about it. I don't want to get the wrong thing. I don't want it to be a thing I like for a month and realize it's a little played or it's almost like buying rims. Right. I bought new rims recently and I started thinking I should <laughs> nice. just get the, I should just get the drug dealer one, like, and not assuming that all drug dealers have expensive rims, but I think it's a safe assumption. So I, I'm just like, should I get just gold ones and just say, who cares? Should I do that? Should I buy gold rims? What is your, like, what's your objective in the, is it to be, for people to look at your car and be like, who's that guy? Cause then yes, you should get gold rims. But I kinda, otherwise, I think they're kind of ugly. Yeah, they are kind of, but I kind of liked the idea of what, you know, he has gold rims. And then you got to worry about like anything with me that if you don't know me, exactly. you go, what is this guy? Yeah, like, you would be it, doing it ironically, kind of like your Instagram feed, but some people don't understand that. And they're like, and they would judge you based on you having gold rims. Yeah, because if there's a girl that is like, what's Rosillo's deal? And they look at the Instagram thing and they're like, this guy sucks. I've heard about this a few times, by the way. And if I were to pick up somebody and be like, he showed up in a black Range Rover with gold rims. Like, what's his story? And then some of my friends would be like, hey, is your ironic approach to things actually you being who you wish you were? Oh, yeah. Are there you are actually... definitely people that believe that about you. Yeah, right. Like, no, actually, you're you're being who you are. And you you're pretend just not comfortable. it isn't. Yeah, you're pretending you actually do want gold rims and you do want a gold chain, but you're 42 and you think like you shouldn't, but you kind of wish you were doing these things. And it's not ironic because the rims were eight grand. And I went, okay, you know what? Things are going all right, but eight grand on wheels is, is ridiculous. And by the way, I have that new monitor thing on my doorbell and it's not just what I have on the doorbell. It's this community of videos that you can watch of other people. And they'll post their own videos and be like, has anyone seen this lady? She keeps asking about her two daughters that are missing, which wasn't true. This guy's stealing lemons. Lemon thief, 2 a.m. One dude showed up in like a construction vest and he walks up clipboard in hand and goes to the doorbell. Some scam, obviously, sees the brand, probably Simply Safe, and then turns back around immediately. Like, he didn't even knock or do anything. He's like, oh, wait a minute. This is on camera. I'm out. And then she posts, and she's like, this guy's going around the neighborhood. Um, so, you know, who would even know? Like, I thought I lived in a safe place, but I, if I have gold rims, you know, then I'm, I could be a target. I could be a target. So I ended up going with just flat black ones to match the black exterior. You went the murdered out route? I'll respect that. Yeah, but I didn't do the black, you know, is anyone still listening to this? Did I do the black Range Rover letters or, uh, you know, all that stuff? Like I didn't, I didn't take every silver piece off and then, you know, cause I just, I don't know. I had a buddy that we used to make fun of because he put chrome on his, like on everything. He chromed out his Tiburon. That's, that'll tell you the, the date range on this. It was like 2000, what, four, five. He put chromes and neons in this like two door piece of crap Tiburon. And now, like, was he super into it though? He was. was he... he had a system in it, everything. I had two buddies with systems. Um, he was the only one with neons and chrome. So we used to always just make fun of him about how much he loved chrome. 
Some guys love Chrome. Uh, I have a buddy now that recently admitted to me that he had a naked female silhouette sitting on top of a Ford emblem on one side of the back of his truck, and then on the other, it was Calvin pissing on a Chevy logo. Those are so lame. And he had it in high school, and he couldn't have been more fired up, and he thought he was absolutely killing it. And he, the funny thing is, is the guy that did it would be like the last guy that you would ever think would do it. And he did it, and he thought it killed. And I think that's also part of growing up. You know, I had a roommate, Southern Mass, Noel, what's up? And he had a brother that was about as mass as it gets, and he had, I think, a samurai, a Suzuki samurai. And he was saying to us, like, Jordan, and then on the front, I'm going to get a sick no fear banner. And, like, right <laughs> on the front, no fear. And I thought he was kidding, right? And I'm like, yeah, definitely get a no fear banner, dude. That'll be sick. Like, we'll go to the mall. We can get in a fight, smoke cigarettes. It'll be sweet. Yeah, you're, some- you're attracting a very specific type yeah. of female. Meet some girls from, like, we won't go to Hingham to meet girls, but maybe we'll go to, like, I don't know, not Duxbury either. I'm just trying to think. Like, maybe we'll go up to Saugus and you know Fia Samurai. And I started kind of, like, joking because I thought the guy was joking. And then his brother, who was I was closer with, was, was like, hitting my leg, being like, dude, don't screw around with that. Like, he's totally serious about the No Fear sticker. He's going to get pissed. And I went, like, we had to have a private talk. I go, I thought the No Fear thing was a joke. He goes, no, no, dude, he's he's super into it. He thinks it's going to kill and if you make fun of it, he's going to get weird. And, I don't, you know, it's going to ruin the whole weekend. I'm like, okay. Wicked. How weird is your brother? Yeah, jeez. <laughs> no fear was a big deal, though. Like, not not in the crowds that I sort of was in, but no fear, I, no fear was everywhere. Yeah. T-shirts, I mean, why, memory, why like, wasn't it? hats, think, whatever. Oh, yeah. Like, can you go on the No Fear website now? Like, what are they peddling? Like, that's the other thing I'm always fascinated with is brands like the Varney t-shirts, late 80s, early 90s, probably a little too old for you. And then they came out with all different variations. And, like, you had to get a Varney shirt if you were on the Vineyard or Nantucket or Cape in that time frame. I'm sure other areas in the United States are also rocking them as well. But you just had you had to get one. And then you go, okay, when's the last time I've seen a Varney shirt? And then you go, oh, look, they're still selling them on their website. Like I saw some sort of partnership the other day with a clothing brand that I hadn't heard of forever. And you go, what's what's it like working there? Like what's it like when your corporate, maybe even clothing line or your thing? Because like No Fear was kind of that. Like what's it like when you – like a lot of people, music, actors, you know, it's it's hard to stay relevant for decades and decades, right? So it's the same thing with businesses. So what happens when you have this absolute pop but then you still have like a business and nobody's there anymore? You'd be like, imagine if you were like, hey, what do you do? I'm like, um, HR, no fear. I'm like, really? What's – what have you guys been up to? I'm like, oh, we're still – we're pretty hot in northern Florida still. We're doing um, We're doing a spike ball tournament. By the way, if No Fear wants me to do live reads, I guess we could. Well, so I'm on their website right now. Yeah. I I don't understand. Like, you can't do anything on the website. <laughs> Just like, it's the a picture of a guy on a dirt bike, and it says No Fear, and then it kind of moves the guys. Then there's a BMX guy, and then it's like a water skiing guy. But I, I can't buy anything. And then there's this timeline of events <laughs> of things that happen. Like, buy anything. From, 18, from, uh, 18, from 1989... He says no fear is created, and then now it's 2015. Coming soon, no fear to launch new water sports. Uh, to wobble line, I don't even know what that is. I don't even know. But what there's you're nothing to there's nothing to buy, and then it just says this is how we got here. That's it. So it's kind of like the Dunder Mifflin thing when Jim shows you their website and it says like under construction. It was six years prior, and then there's a contact 
as my email goes off, as a contact uh, where you could just send them stuff if you want. Wait a minute. I'm supposed to send no fear stuff? Like send them your information or whatever and send them a message. When they hear about this, because it's going to get to them, will they be pumped about this segment or will they be bummed out? I mean, they'll probably be pumped because it's like mysterious. I have no idea what they do and it's just free pub that they're not already getting. Yeah. I hope sales doesn't get mad at us. They're like, Rosillo did a 12 minute no fear segment. I'm not but, even joking. I, I, I can't, you can't do anything on the website. Nothing, nothing happens. It doesn't take you anywhere. <laughs> Are there tabs? Yeah, but it's just home, about, and contact, and the about is just the timeline. <laughs> this ended up being so much more fun than <laughs> and, I thought. Yeah, it. and then there's a legal thing, which I won't read. Uh, and then uh, there's their social media stuff. <laughs> Actually, let's check out their Instagram. Page. Yeah, let's check out their Instagram page. How many followers do they have? They have, ooh, <laughs> uh, just over 2,000. Not, not, not killing it. No, uh, I'm going to tag everything now with no fear. Interesting. I mean, they don't sell anything. It looks like they're just like yeah, a but, lifestyle. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, people just mostly dirt bikes, and and then there are like those phrases, like great things never came from comfort zones. Uh well, that's not inaccurate. So you know, look my out. Only, my only what talent about? is that I just don't quit. They're not T-shirts, though. They're just things. I can relate to that. I'm yeah. gonna, I might buy a shirt. I'm gonna get you a they shirt. Don't, I don't, they don't sell shirts. I'm, I'm trying to find a shirt. I'm gonna go on eBay and get one. Yeah. You gotta, remember the long sleeves? Didn't they have some long sleeves that they were rocking? Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm yeah. Sure. Okay. They're they're big into the comfort zone. They don't like being in comfort zones. I was also thinking about doing tales from Equinox because I like to hit up the different ones here. But I already did all the stuff. I probably should have saved it for my own podcast, but I did it for Bill. Uh, I did Bill Simmons podcast on Friday and I don't know if you heard it yet, Saruti, but I worked out and in the gym, I imagine most people that like me listen to me and probably would go listen to Bill's too. But, uh, Toby from the office was actually in there working out. I don't know if you caught that. You tell much, how much you didn't like him? No, I like Toby. Mm. Who likes Do- Toby? Well, I like his character on the okay. show. I think he's, I think he's hilarious. Yeah. Really, no, I don't think just about, like, the, like the guy, the actor. I just, nobody likes Toby. No, I would never say Toby's my favorite character, but I'm, what I'm saying is like, I can appreciate Toby's character, you know? Like, I thought, I thought he was, he was great because it was great to have Michael despise someone, just have pure hatred because he wanted to be friends with everybody. And yet they did a really good job. Like, we should have one person that he absolutely hates. And that was Toby. And Toby always kind of took it. But yeah, it was like, the analogy I use is, is imagine if you were at the beach and Tom Cruise showed up, oiled up, shirt off, dog tags, Daisy Dukes, and asked girls if they want to play beach volleyball. You'd be like, wait a minute, you really like that? He's just like Maverick. <laughs> and Toby at the gym was working out as if it was just like Toby. And he's kind of looking around. But now I feel bad because guy said I was gym shaming him. And I'm never, I'm not a big gym shamer. I always try to say like, you know what? If you're working out and you're there, then you deserve all the credit. But then I caught another thing and I've been, um, Big Cat's obsessed with these Equinox updates. He wants me to start my own Twitter feed just seeing it Equinox. But I don't know. I'd rather have a sponsorship with Equinox instead of making fun of people that I work out with there because eventually it's going to get back to me and then it's going to be some enormous guy with neck tats. I don't feel like dealing with that because I'm just not quick enough anymore. Obviously, my prime, I wouldn't wear. I'm totally kidding, by the way. Um, But yeah, yesterday or no, no, it was a few days ago. This dude was doing 40-pound dumbbells to curl, which is a lot. And he weighed probably 140, and he was jacked. He was actually jacked, but he was like 5'5", five, 5'6", five, five, 140. And he would do push-ups on the 40-pound dumbbells, and then he would do like push-up and then a burpee holding onto the dumbbells, and then would curl. 
and go right into like 10 cur- it was insane and he couldn't curl him because it was way too heavy for him but he was doing whatever he could except he was super jacked and then his timed rest in between sets he did a rubik's cube and i went all right dude oh, like give me a break mental stimulation come on but that's the thing is he thought he's like okay what do i have i have my rogue bands i have my chalk i got my pre-workout in and i gotta make sure i do the rubik's cube thing because i read about it somewhere you know but I used to read. I used to read in between sets. But I wasn't reading because that's I needed weird, mental. Though. Yeah, that's not weird. I needed to do it because I'd do all these printouts that I would have for the show. And if I didn't read them uh, before I did the show and then did the show anyway, I'd feel bad that I printed them out. So there would always be articles that I would want to read. I mean, I always walked around reading all the time when I was at ESPN because I always felt like I didn't – I always felt like there was a little bit more that I could read before I would do the show. So I used to constantly just – I would walk to lunch and I would – Make sure I had something to read just for those five minutes that I may walk. And when I was working out, I would do the exact same thing. And then uh, this professor came up to me. He's like, "Do you do that because your retention level's better?" I was like, "No, it's because I'm always behind." He's like, "Oh," he's like, "I I talked about you in a class and talked about how you have this specific way of studying, and apparently that's not true." And I was like, "Yeah, it's definitely not true." <laughs> he's like, "Oh, okay." He was so bummed out about it. Um, what else? So it's me talking about the gym again. I'm sure people are pumped about that. Uh. What else? Anything else going on? How's Connecticut? Uh, you know, it's the same old. I was actually, Peter Burns was in today for Will. And he I was heard, asking I me, listened like, to it. He was asking me places to go because he's here until tomorrow night. And he was like, where, what do I go? What do I got to see? And I'm like, I don't know. There's really not a ton to see. Um, so I just told him about our place in West Hartford. Uh, Treva, also Savoy's, a couple restaurants. But other than that, there's really nothing going on in Connecticut. What about ever. Mystic? Why does he want to go down to Mystic? It's just too far. You know, yeah, well, if kinda, you really want to explore, though, yeah, but you know? I don't know. There was a big college the, football meeting today, so that was that was going on. I know. I remember i I went to that once, I think, and then um, they had me present, and one of the suits came up in the middle of the presentation and yelled at me for not doing the presentation well enough. So that was the last time Rye guy showed oh, up to do that. Yeah, I was pretty mad. What were you doing wrong? I'm confused. <laughs> Um, we had a panel. They decided they wanted me to host a panel. I think it was because somebody in radio went to TV and said, can you have Ryan involved? Cause he's doing a ton of game day stuff and it'd be nice for him to be involved. And I was like, Oh cool. I finally got invited. And then I went to go do it and they put a panel of like 12 different analysts together and the, um, suit as I introduced everybody. And I started off, I think I asked Herb Street a question first and then I, Herb Street followed up and the suit in the middle of the entire room went, Hey, you know, we've got all these other guys up here. Make sure you get them involved too. And I wanted to be like, are you seriously going to scold me in front of the entire room of colleagues because somebody, Herb Street, answered the first two questions? Like, what did you think I was going to do? Thank the other 11 for not talking? Like, we got 30 minutes. I was, I can admit this stuff. I was really mad. I was going to say, I can't see you taking that well. No, I was, I was absolutely furious. And, uh, I, I just was like, how many other people would you do this to where you would stand up and embarrass them in front of a hundred people? And so, um, you know, that's just, one of those days, it didn't go rise way. That's all right. Uh, I'm coming back and I'm doing get up for a week. So I'm flying back to New York City. I got to get adjusted to the altitude. So I'm going to come back on Saturday, uh, which I'm a little bummed about because the UFC is in LA and that headliner is going to be awesome. Cody and, uh, TJ, I believe. And I really wanted to go and go see that with Anik and the whole deal and, and hook it up. I, I planned 100% on doing that. Also, Manhattan Beach has the six-man tournament, and it's already going to be nuts. You can already see what's going on. So a lot of people – I don't know that people like me as much as they like my house now, as I'm starting to learn. But um, 
I wanted to do all these things, but like I got to do get up, and that means I'll be getting up at like one my time to go into work that first day, and I want to be locked in. I want to have a good week. So Who's in? Greeny. It's Greeny and Jalen. The first four days I'm there. Oh, so that's I'm, awesome. I'm pumped, uh, and you know what? I'll be pumped whoever's doing it. But that's great that I I got Greeny because I always like doing the show with Greeny. Like everybody thinks that I. I wouldn't say people don't think I don't like him. It's just we're so different that there are times where he constantly thinks I'm messing with him, even when I'm not, because I may, and then it throws him off. But I actually really, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I really like both those guys and uh, Bill Wolf, the producer. So, yeah, I'm coming back. Uh, I'm not going to be in Connecticut, I don't think. Now I feel like I'm announcing my comedy tour like other podcasts. Uh, make sure we check it out. Tickets are flying. We're going to be in Reno. Um but I don't. I don't think I want to do the anthem thing. I think I realized I didn't. I wrote out a whole anthem segment, and now I feel like I don't I'm, want to do it. I'm pretty pumped. I talked you out of it. Yeah, it would just sort of happen. So that's it. Life's happening. We went. We went lower on the rims. Um, no gold. Headed back to New York City a little bit. No gold. And I'm gonna put the Urban Meyer stuff at the back. Um, but first, we're gonna talk to Spencer Checkets. I want to welcome in a guy I've known a long time and was really cool uh, to me over the years. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, part of the Roan giveaway. So we'll be doing that for the new subscribers. Hint, hint, just screen grab a subscription. I'll make sure everybody's tagged, meaning me, Sarudi, um, and also Roan, and also Spence. And so Spencer is a guy that actually, I remember the first time I felt like we were going to get along, he got annoyed with me for not at least attempting 1-3 in the celebrity game. But he's been afternoons <laughs> in Salt Lake for over 15 years but also spent some time as a regional scout for the Knicks, and uh, that was a bunch of years. So let's see if we can tell some stories. So what's up, man? How are you? Doing well, man. Thanks for having me on, as always. Hope all is well. Yeah, so, you know, I remember, forget the text about Celebrity Game, you texted me about Donovan Mitchell early, and, you know, you know how much I love the draft, and then they take him, and I thought it was a deep draft, and you go, yeah, these are sort of the knocks, but, you know, I'm not sure, like, man, crazy athlete, and maybe not having a defined position makes him better, but maybe that's part of the concern, and look, a lot of people were just off, they didn't get it, but very early on, you're like, dude, this is different, like, you gotta check this out, and I'm going, all right, maybe, maybe it's a month or two in, when was the first, like, holy bleep moment realizing that Mitchell wasn't just some guy that could score a little bit but like was a special maybe franchise type player for you well initially it was it was summer league right but summer league you always take with a grain of salt because half the guys can't even walk but um his debut in summer league he went for 23 7 and 5 and then he gave it to Jason Tatum like the the Celtics and the Jazz were playing in summer league and Donovan wanted to guard Tatum and he gave it to him. And they went back and forth. Donovan stripped uh, Tatum, went down and dunked it, and then stared at Tatum on the way back down. You could, could tell he wanted. You could tell he just wanted to compete. And the other thing that I, I loved about him right from the start is he thought he was the best player on the floor. So then, how much of summer league is real? You know, he goes off for thirty-seven in Vegas, and then you know guys start noticing a little bit. But it was really early on in the regular season because with Hayward leaving. I believe you called me a message board fanboy after Hayward took off for Boston. I remember that. Yes, correctly. I was. I was very hard on you, and I apologize. You were. No, uh, all is forgiven. You said you, said Hayward, you felt like when you came on my show, it was like being scolded by your older brother, and I. I actually I did. I felt remorse for like half the afternoon after that. So I I am sorry. I've, that's always I'm glad that we could still remain friends because I did let you have it. But when your tweet annoyed the hell out of me. Like you guys got really sensitive about Hayward. And when you said the statue yeah, made, thing, I lost it. I did. I'm sorry. 
Okay, I was joking about the statue, okay? but we'll, we'll <laughs> I thought you were serious. I thought you were serious, no, no. so I got really mad. Yeah, you know me better than that. Um, but with Hayward leaving, the, the storyline, not just here locally in Salt Lake, but a lot of people nationally said, okay, it's Rodney Hood's time to step up. Oh, and they have an interesting rookie in Donovan Mitchell. We'll see what happens. Well, look, Rodney couldn't stay healthy. To be honest, he was a bit of a malcontent. And to Quinn Snyder's credit, within like eight to ten games, Donovan got the starting nod. And the interesting thing, and one of the reasons I texted you is, I mean, you watch a ton of games. The Jazz aren't necessarily the high priority on league pass or whatever. And, you know, if you looked at the box scores early on, it didn't look good. I think he had four one-for-seven games in his first ten or whatever. But it was the little things that stood out. And a member of the Jazz front office staff, because I was on the Jazz pre-app and post-game coverage, he said, look, I want you to come down to the basketball center tomorrow. I want you to watch Donovan work out with Johnny Bryant. And Johnny's a Jazz assistant, Donovan's positional coach. Johnny's very good at what he does. I think he, he has a chance to either be a high-level college coach or an NBA guy. And that's when I saw Donovan, not just the, ath- you know, not just the athlete. That's the obvious thing watching him at Louisville. Everything else, he's obviously an athlete, but you saw his willingness to work on finishing off of one foot because he's such an explosive two-foot jumper. And that was the first time I went, okay, like this isn't just a good rookie. This might be, this might be a guy. And then about 30 games in, that's when I really started texting you. I'm like, dude, you've got to watch. Like this isn't just a guy. This is like, this is a dude. You know, this is a guy that can be here and dominate for a long, long time and and then the buzz kind of started coming up. He won the slam dunk contest. And obviously what he did, did against Westbrook in the playoffs, like now people know. But I wanted to get on it early to let you know, like, this is for real. Okay, so the city, like, you've been there a long time. And right. I remember, like, my first experience with jazz fans were the, the old Chris Paul Darren Williams arguments and I would put jazz fans in like the top five most vicious that I've ever dealt with when they're they're mad about something but sure it felt this felt different like the whole year felt like just an awesome story because you lose Hayward and then he takes over and then like I loved what happened in the playoffs the idea that like Donovan was the guy that was closing games you know better than the Thunder and you're thinking, man, like, how does, how does this happen? So, like, when you talk to the coaching staff, when you're plugged in with these guys and you cover the team for a long time, like, what do they say about him and who he could ultimately be in this league? Cause I think some of the, some of the stuff, like, I don't, I don't think this is just a kind of flash in the pan kind of guy where, like, the league, he took the league by storm. Like, people were realizing he could potentially be rookie of the year and it got even better. And he really didn't have a great second offensive option and it still didn't matter. Like, he'd still get it done in the fourth quarter. And that I thought was the most impressive thing about his whole year. Well, and, and again, I've got to give Quinn Snyder a lot of credit because he saw it early and said, let's go. You know, let's ride with this kid. Keys to the car. I mean, Donovan shot more, he had more shot attempts for 100 possessions as a rookie than Kevin Durant did. You know, like for all of the stats you could throw out there, that's super impressive because when Hayward left, they had to replace his usage. It was super high. Thought it was going to be Hood, but then it was Donovan, and it continued to be Donovan with some good, not great role players on the perimeter. Rubio had a career year. I know you're a huge Joe Ingles guy, but our boy Jingles, Jingle pretty juice. good next to Donovan. Yeah, indeed. Jingle Juice line three. So they saw it pretty early on, but I will say Dennis Lindsay, give him a ton of credit. Dennis saw it before anybody, and Quinn was a little more skeptical just because head coaches are. 
I mean, you brought up Darren Williams. And by the way, just for the record, I was always on the Chris Paul side of that, which didn't make me very popular here. Was it safe for you to go go outside when you said that? Um, it didn't feel like it, but I did anyway. No, I'm telling you, I was on, I loved Chris Paul, you know, all throughout one year at school, whatever. I was pumped that the Jazz had a chance to draft him, and then they went Darren, who had some really good years. But back to the original point, Jerry Sloan started Milt Palacio and Keith McLeod over Darren Williams because Jerry was an old-school coach. Coaches are just more skeptical. So Dennis and Quinn and have a unique relationship. And Milt Palacio was awesome. Sorry, go ahead. You ready for his uh, his Utah Jazz fan nickname out here? For Mil Palacio? Yes, please. Yes. You're going to love this. He hit like one prayer big shot, and fans around here started calling him Captain Crunch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not even, I'm not even kidding at all. I tried to get in front of the train, but it was gone. So Mil Palacio will always be Captain Crunch in Salt Lake because of like one prayer he hit at the end of the game. That is – that a lot of people don't know that. So if, if anything today we we, we discovered Milt Palacio's nickname. I remember Milt Palacio. I mean, he was with the Celtics for a little while. So sure, yeah. Go ahead. Well, I mean, the, yeah. The original point is just that coaches are a little bit more skeptical because experience matters to so many of them. But Quinn, with some urging from Dennis and the front office staff, you know, gave the keys to Donovan, and you know, Donovan's so polished. He was raised. Um, his father's been around the New York Mets organization. He's raised to be a good person or a good kid. He embraces the city. And, a, you know, a place like this, especially after losing Hayward, everyone is so excited to, you know, just kind of glom on to this next ray of hope. And Donovan, he showed up at a barbecue at someone's house randomly on the 4th of July, just like walked in the backyard. Like the kid just gets it. And the excitement around here for him I don't think I've ever seen anything like it before. And I was a kid. My old man was with the Jazz. And I remember when they drafted Stockton and Malone. I mean, I don't think this franchise in this city has ever experienced excitement on the level they're experiencing it with Donovan. And in the OKC series, Ryan, he guarded Westbrook and Paul George on equal number of possessions. So he guards, he finishes, he acts like he belongs, he wants to compete. And, man, he is just not just his city, it's his state, it's his region, man. People love him around here. So he likes it there. He legitimately likes it there, because that's what everybody always thinks. Nobody ever likes it there. No, he actually does. In fact, I live, you live in his building? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I live pretty close to Donovan, so I see him quite a bit. And look, I don't know if he's just walking the right line, because he was raised to be a professional athlete, but he seems to love it here. And look, as you know, the world is different than it used to be. Donovan's on the cover of 2K over in China. He just got back from China promoting it. There's 27 million um, downloaded games over there of 2K with Donovan on the cover. Rudy just won Defensive Player of the Year. Like, it's a different – Donovan can do whatever he wants to do as a professional athlete. He can do it here as much as he can do it anywhere else because the world is out much smaller. He just signed a huge shoe deal, you know. So he says he likes it here, and I haven't seen any reason to believe otherwise. Um, how good do you think he can be? Like, you think he'd be Dwayne Wade level? Do you think we're going to be starting to flirt with him being a top 10? Top, like, how, how, I mean, that's tough, man. It's LeBron, it's Durant. Like, I always think we do that with some of these guys. You're like, oh, this guy will be top 10. I feel like the top eight is packed. Do you think he can be one of those guys in three years? 
You know, that's tough because like you, whenever, whenever anybody says, oh, top five guy, I'm like, wait, don't just say top five guy. Like, right. tell me the names yeah. of the top five guys. Here's what I'll say about Donovan. He wants to be great. And I know that's a little cheesy or whatever, but, you know, Johnny Bryant, Quinn Snyder, they give him homework assignments, and he's all in. Like, he's back to doing two-a-days. As good as Donovan can be, he's going to find that ceiling. And Quinn Snyder has already shown that he'll develop players, that, you know, he'll give them the chance to find that ceiling. You mentioned Dwayne Wade. He's built exactly like Dwayne Wade exactly like Dwayne Wade. And, you know, one of the players that Dennis Lindsay really loves is George Hill. And George was here for a minute before he took the money in Sacramento. And a lot of Donovan's ability to play both sides of the court reminds Dennis of George Hill. I think Donovan's a much better overall player. But, man, like you, I always hesitate to say top five, whatever. But he is he's going to be as good as he possibly can be. He'll find his ceiling. If that's top five, if that's top ten, great. But a lot of his splits are pretty average still. Like this season, we need to see more efficiency, and he needs to be more precise. But, I I mean, I think he can be super special. And he already is, quite frankly. Yeah, that's the thing, as I always like, whenever Curry was starting, his his ascension and his popularity rating was through the roof. And I remember talking to some guys at Golden State. I said, you know what's going to happen, though, is that everybody's going to get sick of the lovable, you know, underdog a guy who's who's revolutionized the game with his shooting and just people be like, you know what, I'm kind of sick of him. They're like, no way. They're like, Curry's way too likable. And then I remember talking to some guys, they're like, you're right. It happened. I go, dude, it happens to everybody. Like, that's going right. to be weird. When Like I had a friend ask me like, hey, when do you think I'm going to stop absolutely loving Donovan Mitchell? And I was like, I don't know. We just do that. Like human nature is that we get like a little annoyed when somebody's out there too much. Like I even heard a guy at Summer League being like, oh, what's he sitting in courtside Summer League the whole time? So he's on camera all week. And oh, I went, geez. come on. Yeah. I'm like, can we, you know, like, can we at least just assume a guy's a great guy until we know otherwise? Like maybe he's bored and I don't know, wants to go to Vegas. Like I wish I could have stayed there longer. I was there for two nights, three days, and I didn't want to leave. It was basketball heaven, and it's all I was doing was basketball, 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 and it's just fun even if the games aren't necessarily great. So I do – I don't want to say I do worry about that with him, but it happens. Like if Embiid loses again next year earlier or gets hurt, people are going to do what they did before. When he wasn't playing, it was oh, a little fat, a little fat and happy. He's on Instagram too much, and then he's incredible. He's killing it, and nobody cares, and it's funny. If he ever gets hurt again or they lose early in the playoffs, people are going to be like, you know, a little too many Rihanna jokes. That's just what happens. And last right. year was zero expectation, and he shattered anything anybody had for him, which I would say even his own staff, because I don't think the front office even thought this, and that's what I love about your staff in Utah. But I do... I don't want to say I worry about that with him because it isn't specific to him. It's really our fault in the public. No, absolutely. And that's, again, you're right. That's just what we do. I mean, nobody, you couldn't find a reason to dislike Durant. He helped when he signed in Golden State, but now he's one of the most hated guys out, even though he's still awesome. You know, the Embiid thing, like, if you've been paying attention, he's kind of been annoying for a long time. Like, his act is like, and I know it was kind of fun, the big dude who liked to have fun for a while. But now, you're right. I mean, there's a little twinge of that where if he gets hurt and he continues to ask celebrities out, it's going to be a little bit irritating. But there's nothing that I've seen from Donovan that's really about the show. Like, dude, he went to Serbia this summer to hang out with Epe Udo. You know, like, Serbia to hang out with Epe Udo, the Jazz backup center. Like, he, he seems to sincerely like his teammates. You know, he went and stayed at Rubio's place in Spain. 
and his teammates seem to yeah, genuinely would, like him. Why which wouldn't is, you, though? <laughs> you know, no, like, 100%, yes. But, but what I'm saying is he's not just in Vegas looking for LeBron. You know what I mean? Right. I want him to go to Fort Lauderdale with jingles. You know, I'll see if I can make that happen. But just one key point on this. One of the reasons he was able to do what he did this year is that his veteran teammates, there was no jealousy because Donovan is sincerely like a really good kid. When a lot of people were talking about trading Rubio this year, and if it made sense, Donovan came to his defense on social media over and over and over. Like, my point is, I don't see any fakeness to this dude. That's good. That's good. You're around him, right. Yeah. Yeah, and I I really think he's going to be a special player for a long time, and I think he'll be that here. Okay, can you give me your best – so four years as an area scout for the Knicks, and how good of a player were you, by the way? Could you play in a pickup game with, well, I don't want to say pros because they're all enormous. So that's always a size thing. But you played, well, no, here, you played what, one year at Utah? I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah, but here, here's what happened. I thought I was really good. And then I got invited <laughs> to five star. A lot of us did. Um, yeah. No, but I, I mean, like I thought I was going to like be a backup point guard in the league. That's how delusional I was. Whoa. How and long? Then, most of us, yeah, like right? 13. How old were you when you realized you weren't going to be an NBA point guard? 16. Okay. All right. That's fair. Well, here's what happened. So I got invited to five-star. And, you know, I could really shoot it. You know, that, that was my thing. I was a shooter. And I could handle it pretty well. But if you're a six-foot white kid, you only have one position to play, period. All right. And so I, I made the, the uh, orange and white game. And I played against – do you remember God, Sham God, Sham God Wells for the Wizards? You mean – PC Friars, God Sham God. Of course, I remember God yeah. Sham God. I just saw him at Summer League. And by man. the way, God Sham God is jacked now, and I'm talking like not disproportionately jacked. Like his his whole body, he looks like a little bit like Denzel's kid, who's the star of Ballers. If he weighed two thirty, and like eh, maybe he's not two thirty, he's probably like two fifteen, two twenty. But God Sham God is jacked now, and he had an insane handle, insane handle. Um, like he would have had one of the top five handles in the league, but he just he couldn't shoot it. Yeah, right? yeah. So go oh, ahead. Yeah, and 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 he was strong. He was fast. And dude, I couldn't even get it past half court. I tried like five times, and then I asked to be taken out of the game. It was so embarrassing. You couldn't. You he couldn't bring me, the ball up. Oh man, I could not dribble past him to get past half court. That's how bad it was. He picked me five straight times, and there were dudes in that like Tim Thomas was in that game, Jerry Stackhouse was in that game, but I was playing against God Sham God. He wouldn't let me get the ball past half court, and that's when I knew I better go to class and all that stuff. Okay, so then you become a scout after Utah, and yeah. what are, what's your best guys are hanging out, telling the old war stories? What's your, what's your best one from that era? Well, my favorite one was probably being in the war room on draft night when Eddie Tapscott had taken over for Ernie Grunfeld, and there were about three of us, what year are we um, talking here? This would have been 90, 99. What year did our test come out? Was it 99? Yeah, 99, I think. So this is, is this, yeah. this is pre Scott Layden then. Right, right. This yeah, is okay. Ed Tap Scott after Grunfeld was gone. Grunfeld and Van Gundy got in their thing. Ernie left. Jeff took over and went to the finals. So the Knicks had, I want to say it was the 16th pick in the Uh-oh. draft. I know what's going to happen. And we're, <laughs> and we're all sitting around the table. And there was three or four of us that said, look, there's a St. John's kid who's just a vicious defender. He might have a screw loose, but if Ron Artest is there, we got to go. We got to take our test. New York kid, great defender. 
And Eddie Tapscott, and I love Eddie, he went with Frederick Weiss because he said, and I quote, I'll never, I'll never live down the fact that I didn't draft Zadrunas Ogalskis, and Frederick Weiss reminds me of him. And he never played in the league. And our test, say what you want about him, he had a really good career for a long time. But he drafted Frederick Weiss because he reminded him of Zadrina Sogalskis and passed on Ron Artest. Did people argue with him in the room? Yes. And we argued with him to the point where we thought when he went to put the name in, the name was Ron Artest. He went rogue. He just did it on his own. So he told you he was going to take our test and then submitted a different name? Or it just would said, be okay. strong to say he told us he was taking our test, but the understanding right. we all had after going back and forth is that the consensus was run our test. And then Tapscott went Frederick Weiss, and next thing we knew, there's a, you know, a, a media scrum asking him what's up, and he kept talking about Zadruna Sogowskis. I think most of us knew that the dude wasn't even an NBA guy, and then Vince Carter jumps over him in the Olympics, and the rest is history. Yeah, and the thing about our test, because, you know, big St. John's guy, and I absolutely loved him, but I never thought he would be that. Like, his prime offensive years, he was, you know, arguably one of the best two-way players uh, for, you know, I'm not saying he's Kobe, but he he became a much better offensive player than I think people ever thought that he would be. But prior to that, he was still kind of this do-everything dude. But, like, if you're doing the background Queensbridge on our test and you know I've talked with people that have worked for the Knicks in the past they go you know sometimes they were just really afraid of New York City kids like did that play into it had you heard stories about him where it's it's more I'm not even saying necessarily he's like the worst human being I look I'm an our test fan I always will be okay but right, right. um and I guess we could you know meta world peace people are gonna get upset about with that but indeed had you heard a story about him where you go I don't know I don't know if we can do this Nothing really specific, just like, I mean, he's got a screw loose. Like, he's a, he's kind of a nut job, which he kind of is, obviously. But Knicks fans would have loved him, man. Like, And the Knicks needed a big defensive wing. You know, it was kind of the end of the Canby, LJ, Houston, Spree thing. And Vice never even, Frederick Vice never even played in the league. Like, to me, it was a no-brainer. And I'll just never forget being in... In the war room, and that's one of the coolest things you'll do. I was in five. Um, one year, one year we were in there. The Knicks didn't have a first round pick. It was when Pierce slid to what ten? Paul Pierce slid to ten. Yeah, he slid to ten because the Celtics are trying to get Dirk. They had a deal done for Dirk. They thought right. they did, and then Don well, the Nelson. Knicks had Pierce at one on their draft board. They had him as the number one. We had him as the number one guy. And when he started to slip, we called a few teams. Um, so that was pretty. That was pretty crazy. The Knicks really wanted Paul Pierce. Again, they, they had, had Pierce one. one. Wow. Yeah, they had him number one. Man, yeah. I'm, I remember. It wasn't always a dumpster fire over there, man. We had some good years <laughs> in the nineties. You should make up T-shirts that said "We had Pierce one." <laughs> it's not. It's not our fault. Uh, I want to thank you for all the years of having me on, man, and um, yeah, man. spending some time here with us. And a big shout out to Roan, which is a family business. You know, I'm a big fan, and like we said, tag. We'll put it out when we release the podcast. And just for people that want to win uh, a Roan giveaway and the new T-shirts, they're sick. They're great. You're going to love them. Your girl may steal it from you. Uh, we'll make sure everybody <laughs> figures that out in the instructions when we release this. All right? Thanks, brother. Appreciate it as always. Okay, so just as I finished up the Urban Meyer piece, they had just placed him on administrative leave. So this is what I had taped. And it all is still very relevant with the lead-up of the timeline. It actually is playing out exactly how I suspected. 
and I'll go back and revisit 2011. So here it is taped just moments before the breaking news. There are two different lanes you can go here. You can go hysterical talk show guy, hysterical uh, social media person, and just say, hey, Urban has to be fired. He clearly knew. So let's do the backstory in case not everybody is caught up here. But Urban Myers, you know, the Ohio State head coach, probably the – I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, behind Saban, he's the next guy. Um, hey, look at this as I'm taping my podcast. Ryan Holland's in. Give me a fist pump. Crushing Kevin Connors on that Ice Cube League thing. That was – that was a nasty retweet. When Ryan Hollins retweets O'Shea Jackson getting mad at Kevin Connors, some could call that Bristol on Bristol crime. But, you know, look, we're all in the same gang. So, anyway, um, here's what we know. Zach Smith, former assistant who was at Florida, and this story goes back to 2009 with some domestic violence against his wife, Courtney Smith. Uh, he was fired in July and when Urban Meyer was asked recently at Big Ten Media stuff, like, hey, did you know about your assistant here, Zach Smith, and the 2015 domestic abuse allegation, uh, he said, absolutely not, that I don't know this. Well, Brett McMurphy, who on a Facebook post used to be with ESPN, uh, he has this story. And the first line is, text messages I have attained, meaning Brett McMurphy, an exclusive interview with the victim and other information I've learned shows Ohio State head coach Urban Meyer knew in 2015 of domestic abuse allegations against a member of his coaching staff. Again, that's Zach Smith. If you go through the Zach Smith timeline, when it happened in 09, somebody from Florida reached out to Courtney and said, don't press charges. Your husband was drinking. It'll never happen again. And that's just like, man. Okay, so then you have um, text messages between the ex-wife, Courtney Smith here and Urban Meyer's wife, Shelly, who was basically helping Courtney here, counseling her. Um, and she, and the quote here in the piece is that Shelly, Urban's wife, said she had to tell Urban about what happened, Courtney said. And she said, that's fine. You should tell Urban. I know Shelly did everything she could. And that Shelly, again, a registered nurse and instructor of clinical practice at Ohio State University College of Nursing. Um, she is also bound by the Title IX standards that Urban Meyer would be bound to. And that's where this stuff gets really tricky because the Ohio State University sexual misconduct policy, also including uh, domestic violence, says, quote, anyone who supervises faculty, staffs, students or volunteers is responsible in addition to the requirement of reporting incidents of sexual assault. The following members of the university community have an additional obligation to report all other incidents of sexual misconduct when they receive a disclosure of sexual misconduct, blah, 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 on and on and on. All right. I'm not like shortchanging the importance of, of, of the verbiage here, but I think you guys all understand the point. So what I wanted to do is kind of examine as, as I would most often when I was doing the radio show that you go, okay, so when we're talking about this kind of stuff, domestic violence in 2018, post Ray Rice, it's a, it's a pre, it's BR before Rice and after. Okay. That's really, I think, how the public and I would say in a good way, um, have, have taken domestic violence more seriously. And as much as everybody wants to trash the NFL for every little thing that they do, they, reacted they reacted to the outcry of okay this is not enough of a suspension um this is not this is not what we're looking at here and and they came down on greg hardy some would say not enough i am more in the opinion of i don't think you should be banished for life um as bad as this mistake be but you know others would disagree with me you know one and done domestic violence then it's out uh there are studies and i was watching this stuff yesterday and that that actually some believe again not I'm not sure how I feel about this, but some would believe, I think I was watching High Noon with Bomani and Pablo and they were talking about it, that the feeling being if, if you were an athlete and you would be suspended and barred for life, that it would be even worse for domestic violence victims because then they'd even be more likely to not report this stuff. And we know how often stories are changed to protect the person that you're in love with, uh, even though the person that you're in love with is treating you like crap, right? So we, we've probably 
all had, we hope um, not everyone listening has, has had intimate knowledge of, of how this all works uh, and, and knowing about somebody in the family or, or being close with someone on either side of this. But like this is really tricky and delicate stuff. So then it turns into what it would always turn into today is that Urban has to be fired, right? So could I tell you today, like if we were all talking, you know, like if I were not a reporter, okay, and we were just talking and you go, well, all these text messages, and they continue on where the wife says to the ex-wife, again, Urban Meyer's wife says to the ex-wife of Zach Smith here that um, it's like Zach, that Urban, I'm getting these text messages here. Um, it says two weeks after the 2015 incident, text exchange between Lindsay, um, who's somebody else here, Courtney, shows that Meyer talked to Zach Smith about the incident. Okay, Lindsay's the wife of Brian Voltolini, considered one of Meyer's most loyal staff members. Brian is Ohio State's football operations director, has been part of Meyer's staff for 15 seasons, Bowling Green. Um, and this is this is how the text exchange between this. It said, Zach's trying to make me look crazy because that's what Shelly is saying he's doing. And then Lindsay, again, a wife of – and the rumor being that every single wife on this football staff, they all knew about all this stuff. So it's hard for us from the outside to believe that Urban um, didn't know. And then it said, Lindsay, he, Urban, said that Zach denied everything. And then the ex-wife saying, I hope, I hope Urban is smarter than that. All right. So as I take you through that whole thing there, it leads, it leads you to this. It leads you to, do you do what common sense would tell us? And common sense would tell us that at some point, Urban Meyer had to know about this. Right? Common sense tells us this. All of these coaches are control freaks. All of these guys know every little thing that's going on. And then what happens is, is whenever there were recruiting violations or something happens that the assistant coach is the Owens Corning fiberglass insulation to protect the head coach. I mean, that's what's happened in college basketball. It's changed a little bit for a couple decades, though. The assistant on the college basketball staff was the guy that absolutely took the fall all the time. Okay. Now that can't happen here because what we're looking at, if true, is that Urban Meyer lied. Urban Meyer lied publicly about this. But is that the same as what Jim Trestle did when he lied about recruit, not recruiting violations, excuse me, violations having to do with his own staff? And the reason I bring this up is because Urban, as I've said, is the guy. Ohio State does not want to fire Urban Meyer. There's probably not one Buckeyes fan, and again, there's always one, but let's face it. If you took a poll today in Columbus, do you want Urban Meyer fired today? I'd have to imagine it might be in the single digits of people saying yes. And why? Because he's awesome and because he wins and because he gives you a chance to win a national championship and he's beating Michigan every year. And that's how fans look at this stuff. I mean, just a week ago, we're doing the hater topic and be like, how does this happen? How are all these different things happening? Why is it? And it's because fans will rationalize anything if it's kind of better for them. And does that mean I think all Buckeyes fans are terrible guys or insensitive to domestic violence or anything? No, I, I think this is very predictable. It's very repetitive. This is kind of what happens is obvious it may be to me or anyone else that like obviously the the wife with these text messages if this report is true from brett mcmurphy that he had to have known at some point didn't do anything and then even something could have happened back in gainesville in 2009 and then a guy's still on the staff and he was still on the staff this summer and then he lied about it you know does he have to be fired for that and i think most people would answer absolutely yes but can the buckeyes go hey you know what we know everybody wants him fired 
but he's awesome. And he can say, hey, the reason I didn't come through with the whole thing is it was a very sensitive issue. It was in-house. We were a family up here. Like, I already know all the things that you would say as a head coach to try to get out of this because he doesn't want to lose his job. And Ohio State doesn't want to fire him. And the reason I bring up Trestle, as I took way too long to get back to it, is I remember doing the show with Van Pelt. And this is 2010 when the story started, and that is the handful of players on Ohio State, at least that we knew of, that were selling memorabilia to a tattoo parlor owner who eventually ended up becoming investigated as a drug dealer. And what happened, and I'll run through this quickly, is Trestle gets an email from a former player, okay, who's a local attorney, and it's like, hey, man, because you got players who are hanging with this tattoo parlor owner who's under federal investigation by the U.S. Attorney's Office. Okay, They're selling stuff to him. They're selling the little gold pants to beat Michigan. They're selling cleats. They're selling jerseys. They're autographing stuff. And by the way, they're giving it away. And then in April 2010, Trestle replies to the email the same day and says, thanks, I will get on it ASAP, JT, meaning Jim Trestle. Okay, so then the emails continue and they're like, look, this is really bad. Like, you've got to talk to your guys and figure this out. And Trestle replies, I hear you. It's unbelievable. Thanks for your help. Keep me posted is what I need to do, if anything. I will keep pounding these kids, hoping they grow up. That's April 2010. So then in June, it continues. This is Trestle and this one local former Buckeye, local attorney, talking about what's going on. And honestly, as I was going back to this timeline today, preparing for this podcast, like I kept going, man, Tressa lost his job over this. And eventually he loses his job because he lied to the NCAA. But is, is, am I wrong for thinking that a head coach in that kind of program <laughs> that, hey, man, a bunch of your players are doing this really stupid thing? Like most every coach, and I think most of us, like if you were told immediately, and I'm not talking about domestic violence here, I'm talking about simply, hey, your players are doing something really stupid and hanging out this sketchy tattoo parlor and they're selling jerseys and stuff. Like would you immediately call the NCAA? You probably wouldn't. Now, maybe you would in the aftermath of what here happened with Trestle. So this goes on for months, okay? And then Trestle makes a couple mistakes here, but I can understand why he made this one at the end of 2010. He just signed an annual NCAA Certificate of Compliance form indicating he knows of no violations and has reported to the school any knowledge of possible violations. I would imagine, given the the lack of depth at this story at this point, that most coaches would just sign off on that certificate if he even signed the thing. Okay? And then the U.S. Attorney's Office notifies Ohio State officials that it's been discovered some Ohio State memorabilia during a raid uh, of this tattoo parlor's home and asked if the items were stolen. A day later, the athletic department is informed. The list of dozens of items released later estimates a value of twelve to $15,000. So that is, we're, took, we're looking at you know, seven, seven months later. Okay, Ohio State interviews the six players. It's Pryor, it's the running back uh, Heron, uh, Posey, the receiver, Mike Adams, the offensive lineman, defensive lineman, Solomon Thomas, defensive back, Jordan Whiting, and Gene Smith, the AD at the time, thanks the players and says, look, you know, thanks for letting us do the interview and compliments them on being honest and forthright. So then Ohio State turns in a self-report to the NCAA and declares the six players ineligible, which also was comical because the NCAA notified the Ohio State program of the five-game suspensions for the five players for selling all of this stuff that, again, was found after a U.S. attorney raid um, on this tattoo parlor's place. Okay, And then they said they have to pay the charity the equivalent of the money and services they receive. So whatever they got paid for all that gear, they had to then give that to charity. But, and if you remember this comical thing that the 2011 Sugar Bowl against Arkansas 
all the players were allowed to play in that game despite having five game suspensions. And I think the tagline on that was for the integrity of the bowl season or for the bowl system. And everybody was like, oh, you're going to be kidding me with this stuff. And it also reminds me, and I know what's going to happen as soon as I say this, a bunch of Auburn fans are going to tell me how wrong I am. No, you were wrong. Cam Newton was suspended. No one knew about it and then was reinstated for the SEC title game when they smashed South Carolina. And I remember being like, that's when I first started thinking with sports. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Like I was maybe naive before, maybe skeptical. And that's when I started becoming like even more skeptical. I'm like, wait a minute. The NCAA just announced that they reinstated somebody that they never announced was suspended with the Cam Newton and his father and that whole investigation. Like that's weird. And like, oh, guess what? The CBS SEC title games this weekend. And I don't mean that as a knock on any network because the exact same thing happened. And I'm pretty sure that Sugar Bowl was on our network. Okay. So. Smith, the AD, and Trestle hold a news conference to announce the sanctions right before the game. Trestle says the players must have known what they were doing was a violation of NCAA rules. Quote, we all have a little censor with us. Well, I'm not sure if I should be doing this. Meaning, hey, here we go. So now you look back on that and be like, oh, what? well, where was your censor on this whole thing? And again, all this stuff's really easy, but... I don't feel like I'm terrible or, uh, you know, a guy that would break a ton of rules by saying, like, I could kind of get where Trestle in the beginnings. like, you know what I'm not going to do is tell everybody about this thing immediately. Let me handle this internally and yell at my players. Thanks for the heads up, right? Right now it's a lawyer and it's me. That's the only people that know. Let me get with the guys. And clearly the players didn't even want to listen to Trestle, okay? So... While reviewing information on an unrelated legal issue, Ohio State's own Office of Legal Affairs finds Tressel's emails with this former player and local attorney in Columbus. So now they're like, wait a minute, dude. You knew about this back in April of 2010. Here are all the emails. You signed off on no violations. You acted as if you didn't know anything about this. Again, self-preservation, because that's what always happens first, right? How do I save my own? You know what? Because I think that's human nature, especially when it's something that's this important. And so Trestle has a news conference again, and then he says, okay, look, I know that I had the emails. I did get this information. I knew about the player's activities with its tattoo guy. Um, and by the way, the tattoo guy later pled guilty to federal drug trafficking money laundering charges. So now the NCAA in the school interviews Trestle. For the first time, he acknowledged he knows he committed a violation. NCAA lawyer in this uh, transcript transcript that i have here said quote you were aware violations regarding student athletes had either occurred or likely occurred right and trestle says "Mm-hmm." that was his answer ncaa lawyer is that correct trestle quote yes lawyer again and you do not report those violations to anyone in athletics or compliance at the ncaa is that correct trestle correct okay so then there was a Yahoo report story in March after they won the Sugar Bowl, by the way. And Trestles acknowledged his players' potential violations as early as April, did not disclose it. Smith, meaning the AD again, and his staff rushed to finish the self-report. So now Ohio State's self-reporting. And this is where it gets really interesting. And the reason I'm going through all of this stuff, if you're still listening, I appreciate you subscribing and downloading because this has obviously been a little different of a podcast for me. But this is the, the duality of these stories here. Is that Ohio State was like, okay, you know what? Trestle spent it two games. And I think if you look at the out of conference in the beginning or that 2011, I think it was like Bowling Green or whatever. It was against Akron or it was two games where you went, what? And I, I remember in a way, you know, everybody was hysterical about it being like, he lied. Trestle lied. It, it suspended two games against two guys. They're going to put a 50 spot on. You don't even need him for those games. That's ridiculous. The players suspended five games. Trestle lied to the NCAA. And you know why? You know why he was suspended for two games? Cause Ohio State was trying to find a way to not fire Jim Trestle, who won a national championship and kept them at the top of the college football world the entire time he was there. 
even though they were boring at times on offense, right? That was the point. Ohio State was saying, how can we keep this guy we don't want to fire who is screwed up? How can we do it? Well, let's throw a little feeler out here. Eh, we'll give him two games. And, by the way, a fine of $250,000. So when they did that in March and announced that, everybody was mad. And then, and it was, I don't know if it was the next month, if it was a, a week, maybe a few days, Ohio State said, okay, okay, all right, two, uh, two games isn't enough. Let's do this. We will suspend Trestle five games, and five games matches the same suspension as the players because all were guilty and all made mistakes and all these things. But guess what? That's another sign Ohio State didn't want to fire him. And my argument with Van Pelt at the time was, even though, Scott, I know I'm wrong, because Scott's like, you got to fire him. you got to fire him. I'm like, you know what? I'm kind of rooting for Ohio State's defiance here. Not that I agree that they did anything wrong, or excuse me, not that I agree that they did anything right. I'm not saying Trestle is misguided. I'm not saying that people are taking this the wrong way. I'm not even trying to be a troll about this. We didn't even use the word troll in 2011. What I'm rooting for is this, hey, we like him, we don't want to fire him, and we went from two to five games, back off. (laughs) And it didn't work. It didn't work. The hysteria continued. Gordon Gee, the president, did no favors to himself in the university when they asked about potentially firing Trestle. He said, quote, no, are you kidding? Let me just be very clear. And he said it in this voice, and I'll try to do a Gordon Gee impersonation. I'm just hopeful the coach doesn't dismiss me. And everybody was up in arms because the bow tie guy who spent a ton of cash on bow ties when they investigated all that, um, that that was it. And then Trestle resigned May 30th. So basically, that took them two months to fire a guy that everybody thought should have been fired that clearly Ohio State didn't want to fire because he's awesome. And I tell you all of this stuff, even if you don't love college football, even if you hate Ohio State, and obviously it's like some of you Big Ten fans, i got to tell you, man, like SEC fans have their things that drive me absolutely nuts. Big 12 fans are mad when people point out that your tackling sucks and then you try to turn it, oh, our offense is great. No, sometimes your tackling is terrible. And people even tell you that the high school level, the tackling is terrible. And it's a weird thing that's going on with the Big 12. Pac-12, I just love because I'm now Pac-12 rye. And then, you know, look, the ACC, Clemson, right there with everybody else. I don't want to turn this into a whole, whole conference thing. But like the first reaction I'm getting is, where's your pen? Hey, you're going to come after Ohio State just like you did Penn State? And you're like, oh, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that game. What I am fascinated by is that a university that seven years ago who had a coach that everybody wanted fired didn't want to fire him and tried to not fire him two different times until finally he had to resign is now facing something identical except for, and it's not word for word the same, and before you get mad, Understand, this is a far more serious issue. And if you're going to lie about violations of players selling memorabilia, and yet this is, is it Meyer lying to us? Well, that doesn't matter. But if he lied to the school, or as the Title IX verbiage tells us, twice I've used that word, like, you gotta do this. You have to report this stuff. You oversee faculty. You, someone on your faculty did these things. You did not report this stuff. You've denied it. That's where Urban could be in a ton of trouble. But they don't want to fire him. And how many Ohio State fans listening to this right now are like, yeah, you know what? The right thing to do is fire him. I mean, credit to you. If that's the morality that you walk this, you know, day to, your day to day thing. Is like, hey, I'm sorry he's out of there, but I also have dealt with sports fans for a really, really long time. 
And you can find a way to rationalize anything if you think it helps your team.